Hi and welcome back to Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC. I'm Communications Manager Sarah Fellows and with me today I have a very special guest. Um, Mr. Gary Kotala is one of the Honor Flight veterans uh, that we're going to be sending on the Touchstone Energy Honor Flight um, in September and so we're really excited to talk to you today. Uh, this has been a long time coming so yes. we had you and, and uh, Mr. Pike who has unfortunately um, uh, died since um, yeah. you know we were a we were able to honor him uh, but a couple of years ago when honor flight when we had uh, selected you all for honor flight uh, of course that got canceled with COVID and last year it, it did again and so we're just really grateful that this is working out this year <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here thank you very much so uh, Mr. Kotala we're gonna I, I just want you to tell your story um, we want people to get to learn about you um, and we're kind of gearing up to get you ready to go on honor flight so um, in in doing that we just want to learn about you so can you talk about yourself uh, where you're from your family uh, those okay. kind of things okay well uh, I grew up in my early years in northern upper Michigan um, I'm an army brat. My father joined the army and subsequently we moved to uh, various places, um, ultimately retiring. He retired in Washington State. Um, I finished high school in Washington State and I joined the army subsequently. Um, I'm 68 years old. I'm um, single. I have four daughters that uh, uh, haven't uh, failed me or disappointed me yet. They are very amazing. and. Uh, um, I moved out here to uh, Kentucky um, upon retirement from the U.S. Army and Boeing back in 2016. Okay. So, so what brought you? What brought you to Kentucky then? Uh, well, several things. Um, I was here in 2000 for a contractor job at Fort Knox, and what happened is um, I was a contractor working on the Bradley Fighting Vehicle and the Abrams Tank Trainers in Fort Lewis, Washington. And I, when I came out here, I discovered the wonderful people, the mindset, and just the area, the, the good cost of living. And I said, this is where I want to retire. Okay. And, and I knew that in the year 2000. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Well, we're, we're grateful that uh, you were able to come here. So you are, you are career, career military. You've, you've always done that? Yes. I uh, enlisted um, uh, delayed entry program at age 17. And on my 18th birthday, I went active duty and um, spent tours in uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Korea, and Germany, and a handful of tours in the United States. Wow. Uh, the Vietnam and the Thailand uh, tours were uh, given credit for combat. So, uh, so let's talk about that military career. So you, you joined, like you said, you joined right out of high school. Um, so what, what kinds of things were you doing when you first started? Well, um, I am a ham radio operator and have been so since 1967. Um, in my early years, I enlisted in the United States Army for the ASA or Army Security Agency option. I already had some training in radio techniques and Morse code and the like, so I became a Morse code interceptor with wow. the Army Security Agency. Okay, that sounds fascinating. I was, and I was actually <laughs> kind of like doing my hobby and getting paid for it too. Wow, how long did you do that? Uh, I did it for 22 years. So is that what you were doing when you were in Vietnam? I was, yeah. I was in an aviation company and um, we flew um, combat missions doing intercept and direction finding of enemy targets and then wow. calling in um, airstrikes as a result. Wow. Because so radio gave them away. So you've, you've heard a lot. I have heard and seen a lot, absolutely, wow. uh, personally. So your time in particular, and, and, and I 
I know it can be hard to talk about you know, military service, especially if you've seen any sort of combat. Can you talk about that time at all? Uh, I can. Um, it's actually therapeutic for me to talk about it. Um, many people don't realize that veterans often have something called PTSD right. or uh, post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome, or it was a disorder, I think mm -hmm. is the word. Um, and there's a stigma attached to that, and it's really not right, it's not fair. Right. And um, many of us have uh, basically been kind of relegated to, you know, to ourselves, and we have to cope with this on a, on a daily basis. And anybody can be uh, traumatized or have stress and actually have the same sort of symptoms as uh, combat veterans do, right. and they don't even know it. Mm. So many, many veterans have been um, diagnosed decades after the fact when they had their, their experience. And I never thought that, uh, you know, this person would have PTSD, but when they got diagnosed and underwent training or uh, therapy, I should say, um, they were diagnosed with uh, PTSD. Wow. And it creates a lot of problems in, in one's life. So you said it, kind of talking through some of that service you, you find helpful? Uh, I, I do. Um, there are lots of things that uh, trigger me personally. Um, it's just a matter of being hypervigilant, um, always watching, you know, being very careful about who's around and looking for the e exits and entrances and um, mm. any loud noises and things like that. Those can all be triggers. Wow. And then there's things that you don't even know what triggers it. Mm. I mean, something on the television, a sound, a smell, uh, a situation, and you just, uh, you don't know wow. from one day to the next. Mm. And there's really not much you can do about it. You can just uh, cope with it and uh, there's really no cure per se. Right. Well, thankfully, there seem to be a, it's a little bit more recognition that that does exist now. So hopefully, there's more resources for especially our veterans who, who a lot of them, like you said, are, are dealing with that. Absolutely. Uh, there's still people out there that have been in different conflicts. They don't even know they have it. Wow. Uh, a lot of them turn to uh, negative things, alcohol, right. and various things, and it ends up causing more problems than it's, than it's really worth. Wow. But once you have a realization that you might have a problem and you seek the help, then things can be better mm -hmm. one day at a time, yeah. So, um, so talking a little bit through that, that service then, um, especially, and I know, um, again, with that combat experience, I, I can't even imagine what you saw and did. And um, what are your memories of that time, particularly your, your time in combat? What really stands out to you? Well, uh, on the day of the ceasefire, when the war was supposed to end, I happened to have worked the night before, and I was sort of off. You're really never off in a combat zone, but right. I was able to sleep. And 10 minutes before that ceasefire was supposed to start, uh, the sirens started going off, and all of these big, loud uh, booms all around. Um, apparently, what had happened, the enemy had taken it upon themselves to throw everything they had at us uh, and just kind of, you know, say, we're still here, wow. you know, and it just kind of a send-off. Oh, my And um, it, that, that in itself was traumatic. Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, I was, uh, we were all dispatched to the perimeters, and we had all of our gear and weapons and all the items we should have had, and we were waiting for something to happen. Yeah. It never happened. Wow. Yeah, so they were just basically giving us a send-off 10 minutes before. They did, probably didn't want to carry all the uh, stuff back. Right. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were probably just uh, expending it just because. Wow, wow. 
So after, so after you were in Vietnam, you said, I mean, it sounds like you traveled quite a bit with, with what you were doing with the Army. What, what kinds of things uh, were you doing in those other places once you were done with um, the combat piece of it? I preferred overseas duty in my specialty because you actually had a live mission to do, something really hands-on. So I stayed overseas as much as I could. Uh, I had the Vietnam tour, I had the Thailand tour, and I had four tours in Korea and a tour in, in Germany. Uh, the days in between, the years in between, I was in several different army posts in the United States and we practiced uh, basically painting rocks, washing trucks, going out in the field and playing army, you know, the, uh, the, the foot soldier, ground soldier roles. Uh, but we, we really didn't do anything that was satisfying. So I would either re-enlist or request to go back overseas because I had a real tangible mission at that time and it was very satisfying and I liked it so much because ham radio was is a big thing in many countries so when I was in Korea I, I got a ham license mm. so I stayed in Korea for almost 10 years oh, wow. with those four tours and when I wasn't doing my hobby at work listening to different signals and so on and intercepting I was operating ham radio and talking to everybody in the world because wow. everybody wanted to talk to me <laughs> yeah so talk about I, I don't know if people maybe not be familiar with what ham radio is. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what what kind of role, because you were able to do that, what, what kind of things did you do with that then? Uh, well, ham radio, basically it's a uh, government federally licensed uh, radio service. It's a personal radio service that anybody with the right uh, technical skills and, and, and knowledge can, can get into. Um, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, the premise is that we provide a pool of trained emergency communications people um, and somebody that can help in times of uh, conflict um, just by virtue of having the electronics and the radio training. Right. And we practice by doing all kinds of different activities that comes down to uh, getting ready for the big one. If something happens, um, many hams practice sending messages. Mm. Uh, we send personal messages for people like a radiogram. It's like a telegram, but it's over the radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, we use that to practice and test our effectiveness from coast to coast. Wow. Uh, we respond during disaster, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, wow. and all of those sorts of things and we provide contingency. Um, when something goes down, uh, something happens in, in the emergency uh, realm, um, the telephones, cell phones, and internet, they're usually the first to go. Right. So ham radio operators and similar people provide a contingency. Um, and I've further gone beyond just ham radio. Ham radio is more of a hobby for me, but I also provide some um, service to the U.S. government. Um, it's for, the, uh, for FEMA, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense, and I, if I remember the acronym correctly, uh, Cyberspace, what is it now? Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency. And I provide um, communications, um, backup communications on, on government frequencies, oh, wow. and I have a license for that, all because I have a ham license. Huh. So I got the ham license, it opened up other doors for me, uh, Air Force Mars, uh, something called SHARES, which uh, is another contingency communication service. Huh. 
So, so I, you are active I, I, I don't know what my life would be like without radio wow. uh, in some form or another. Yeah. I've been doing it since I was a teenager, and I do it every day. I've been continuously licensed. That's so neat. I mean, I don't know that, again, I don't know how many people really know what ham radio is. And, and for, I mean, that's a really essential service that you're providing. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, for anybody that's interested in getting into ham radio, there's thousands of links on the Internet. Just look it up on a Google search engine and you wow. will find it and um, you, you can find a niche you can do whatever it is that you think might be you know satisfying to you you can try this and try that till you find your little part and just fit right in and, and provide a, uh, a service so when you were doing that um, while you were still uh, in the army did, what kinds of things like when you were in Korea for example what kinds of things do you would you intercept like were, were you intercepting messages then or were you what kind of roles were you playing when you were not like in a, a full-on combat zone uh, well, the job was very similar. Uh, in the combat zone, we were doing a, um, a series of electronic warfare sort of things, like direction finding, actually locating the uh, the transmitters, okay. and then we would uh, also um, make reports and things so that commanders in the field could uh, act accordingly and uh, stay safe and be able to anticipate any threat that might be out there. Um, in various locations, in, in the combat theater, it was one thing. Um, it was based on the Morse code and the electronic warfare uh, scenario. Uh, when I was in Germany, uh, I was in a fixed site. When I was in Korea, I was in a fixed site. And uh, it, it was joint service. We had uh, Koreans or, or Germans, depending on where I was, side by side with us, doing the same vital job, keeping, mm. keeping the enemy uh, Honest, basically, if you would. <laughs> yeah, and then, in, and then in the United States, when I um, was there, I did get to um, go on some exercises and participate in um, uh, the the real electronic warfare side of things, where we would actually go out in the field and people were trying to conduct their operations. Well, I operated a jammer, <laughs> and I denied their communications to them and. Um, I was very popular. They were out to they were out to find me. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, that, that's just part of it. Uh, jamming and direction finding. Wow. It, it, it's all it all inter interacts and it all fits into make one big picture. Huh. I can't really go into all the details, but the basic principles are yeah. pretty pretty open source, and you can find a lot of different information on the internet about it. I, you know, I don't think people necessarily think about that kind of like logistical support that. Everybody needs to be able to, to do their job in the military. I mean, if you don't have that kind of logistical support to, to do that, I mean, it, it makes a huge difference. And I don't know that people kind of, you know, place that kind of a role as so important. Well, if you deny, if you deny someone their communications, there's a whole bunch of dominoes that fall. Right. I mean, certain things, your supplies, your ammunition, your food, anything, yeah. and, and anything in the supply chain huh. can be uh, tampered with. We could send it to the wrong place, like we did when I was in uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. Oh, wow. And uh, the mail and the chow went to the other side of the training center and, you know, they didn't like us very much, but nevertheless, yeah, we jammed them and then we got in and intercepted. We interjected ourselves into their nets and we actually uh, broke in and we were able to um, send false messages and actually divert their, their, uh, their equipment and their, oh, wow. their food and their mail. Oh, wow. And Did it's ever so present now, now with the cyber oh, threat yeah. on the Internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just another 
it's another another level. I mean, I was just doing basic things, 72 to 94, but it's it's gone up exponentially now with the internet. We didn't have internet back then, except for the latter days. But uh, electronic warfare and the cyber threat—they're always—they're always there. Oh yeah, Something, that's a huge part of absolutely of things today. And I'm sure that things have changed. I've been retired since 1994, and I still do ham radio. I still stay on the cutting edge if I, as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But what's happened in the military, I only get little glimpses of, and right. I'm sure that there's been a lot of improvements and changes and the like. Wow. So yeah. So, so the years, the total years of your military service, so you talk about just kind of when you entered and, and when you retired and what you've been doing since then. Um, I, well, like I said, I got in on the delayed entry program on my 17th birthday. Which was when? Uh, it was in uh, 1971. Okay. And then on February 15th, 1972, my 18th birthday, I went on active duty. Uh, I was in high school. That was like halfway through the year. Wow. I went to the principal and said, look, I have a commitment. I have enough credits. Will you please let me graduate with my class? Uh -huh. He looked at my records. I had more than enough credit. I was a good student. And he, he waived the rest of the actual time I needed. Oh, wow. So I was in Vietnam, and my, my actual diploma from my high school showed up in the P.O. box in Vietnam wow. at the end of that school year. Wow. And it was just amazing. I didn't get to go to my graduation or anything like that. I was in Vietnam. You were busy. Yeah, I was yeah. definitely busy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you said you retired in what year? I retired in 1994. Wow. Yeah. That's a long career to yeah. been serving our country. I would still be in right now. Back then, I might not have had so much ambition, but now seeing the way the world situation is, I would uh, I would love to go back if there'd be any way. But wow. uh, it's just not in the cards right now yeah. unless something drastic occurs. So, so what has it meant to you to serve the country that way? Well, I think you said the magic word is service. Uh, my father was in the Army. He spent a tour in Korea and uh, also two tours in Vietnam. Uh, my sister, my, I'm the oldest. Um, I'm, I'm uh, the only son, and I have two sisters. Um, the one sister was uh, in the army. She did the same job I did, but it was after Vietnam. Really? Yeah. Um, and then the other sister, she was in the army, and then she got out and she went back in the Air Force and then got out. They didn't retire or anything like that, but because they ended up with kids and life happened. Right. Um, what 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 I the way I look at it, um, life is about service and giving something back mm -hmm. because somebody always helped me and I'm thankful for what I have, and um, there's always somebody less fortunate than me. Mm -hmm. So to try to um, safeguard the freedoms that we um, enjoy here in this country, um, I I am just so pleased to have served. Wow. Well, we thank you for well, your service. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So the, so the honor flight is a way of, of really thanking our veterans for their service. And we know, and we had this conversation before we started yes. this interview, about especially uh, the men and women that served in Vietnam really didn't have a good experience of coming home. It was not, they weren't welcomed in the way they should have been. That's um, true. And uh, in, in many ways were I mean, we're, we're injured. It, it was just uh, the stories, just the stories I've heard, um, it, it just is heartbreaking um, knowing that that's what you and, and our other veterans went through. W what does it mean to you to be able to, to do the honor flight where you know that, I mean, from the time you all leave, and I know you don't know necessarily all the details, and it's kind of better that you don't because okay. it's a little bit fun to have a surprise, <laughs> well, but from the time you leave until the time you get home, you you will know how much you're appreciated. And what is it, what is it, 
how does it feel for you to, to kind of go from coming home from Vietnam, you know, knowing that, that people saw you in a way that wasn't fair, to, to now being able to kind of go on this trip that, that really is going to honor you and the service that you gave to our country. What does that feel like for you? Uh, it's very humbling. Um, I came back and, um, well, I did Vietnam and then I went to a subsequent tour in Thailand from Vietnam. So those were two combat tours. And then when I finally got back to the United States, uh, there really was no welcome. Uh, there was um, criticism, there was negativity, toxins. Uh, I was called a lot of bad names. Uh, they spit on me, they threw things at me, and just basically felt, you know, make me, made me feel really low yeah. and to add all of that to what had already uh, I'd already experienced um, it really wasn't uh, it wasn't easy mm -hmm. um, and all these years things have gotten better uh, the mindset has improved quite a bit in you know amongst the uh, the American people but really nobody's ever said formally any kind of thanks mm. So um, for me going on the Sonner flight will be a uh, measure of closure and it will allow me to, uh, well, just to come full circle. Let's just put it that way. Um, I've uh, thought about a lot of things. I agonize over a lot of things. And I, al I always come to the conclusion there's really nothing I can do to change them. I can just live one day at a time and move ahead and do the best I can. And now finally somebody's actually recognizing what I have done and others like me have done. And um, I am very grateful for that. Wow. Very grateful. Hmm. Yeah. That's really neat. Thank you. So, so what, do you, what are you most looking forward to for the honor, during the honor flight? Well, of all things, I want to see the uh, Vietnam Memorial. Okay, that's the main one. Yeah. And there's supposedly uh, an Army Security Agency memorial down there somewhere oh, really? that was added subsequently in the last five or six years. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a, a big problem with getting it approved and getting funding and all of that. But between the two of them, uh, that would provide me with some great satisfaction and some closure. And, and just being able to see where all everything springs forth from. I mean, that's the capital of this great nation. Yeah. And um, I've been there before, but it's been like 35 or 40 years ago. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, I mean, so. it's been so long. So yeah. uh, it's, it's time to go back and actually take some time. I was always rushed because I was on active duty back oh, then. Okay, yeah. yeah, so now I'm retired and I can take my time and just do it right and actually take it all in this time. Well, that's wonderful. Well, we're, yeah. we're grateful to be a really small part of it, but... Oh, you're a very large part of it, believe well, me. Yeah. Well, we're, we're so grateful for your service and, and we're so grateful for you to come in uh, to come in and, and talk to me about this and, and to share your story. Is there anything else you want to you want to share before we uh, kind of wrap up our time? Um, no, unless you have any particular questions. Uh, like I said, if you get me talking, it's going to be hard to <laughs> hard to make me stop. I have lots of stories and a lot of things I could um, discuss, but uh, I know we're limited in time, so I will keep it. Uh, Keep it to, on time if I can. Well, I, we appreciate that. If, if, if you wanted to share a story, I would. I would never stop you, though. So well, I understand. I understand. <laughs> well, thank you again uh, for your service and for talking to us today. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we'll look forward to hearing back after the honor flight and and hear how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's been uh, it's been on my calendar for a while, and I am really uh, I'm really excited. I can't wait. Glad it's going to be a great great experience. Glad it's finally happening. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us again for Wire to Wire with Nolan RECC.